0: Sun Valley Church, and welcome to another episode of The Voice of the Valley. I am your host, Jeremy Pinch, and I have Pastor John Schubert with us today. John, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: yeah, good to, good to see you. You know, John and I have had some good conversations already this morning, and I'm looking forward to uh, what we'll be talking about on this podcast. Uh, John, I don't know if you're anything like me, but it's hard to turn on the TV these days, especially when we're looking at uh, news stations or, uh, you know, listening to the radio or the newspaper. Because every time we, or every time I do at least, uh, it seems that all the negative things are being brought up All you know, why the world is the way it is and, you know, how it's broken and whatnot. You know, we always hear about why our economy is struggling, why our government is uh, not working, We hear about sex trafficking. We hear about drug trafficking. We hear about uh, racisms and shootings that are taking place almost on a daily basis. So in light of all that and everything that we hear on the news or watch or read, um, as Christians, should we be surprised by the events that are almost a daily occurrence in our nation and around the world?
1: That's a good question, Jeremy. Um, first of all, um, I guess one answer would be: um, don't turn the TV on so much. <laughs> you know, don't don't be watching TV every day. Don't be listening to the radio every day, and you won't know these things. But <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, whether or not we turn the TV on, or radio on, or look on the internet or whatever, uh, these things are happening at an alarming rate. But the question you asked was: should should We'd be surprised by these things and of course i think um, the answer is no based on scripture so let me read for you uh, a couple of scriptures here and <clears throat> and we can converse about it a little bit peter said this in second peter 3 uh, verse 3 knowing this first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires so Peter thought there was going to be a lot of sinners, you know, mouthing off and, and making their opinions known and making their deeds known in the, known in the last days. Um, Paul said similar things to Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of themselves, of lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving or good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So it seems that Scripture makes it clear, at least the Apostle Paul and Apostle Peter made it clear, that these things shouldn't surprise us. This is, I think, the expected um, path down which Sin takes a people, um, so it's it's not like as if this is something that that should surprise the Christian. Uh, Matt, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew twenty-four, verses six through ten, that we're gonna we can expect this kind of um, behavior. So you know you got you ask the question. You know we got nuclear war and all these things taking place, uh, I, or the threat of it at least. Um, besides. The nuclear war idea that you mentioned, um, the stuff that you did mention, um, has been going on for centuries. It's not like, like people just invented the sex slave trade. This has been going on, you know, back in biblical days. So it, it shouldn't surprise us, at least on that level. Um, but this is something that we are now experiencing firsthand, if you would, because of the um medium of communication, internet, TV, radio, as you mentioned, this is what makes the news. And so now it's it's right in front of us. It's, it's something that we have to, to deal with. But uh, we should not be surprised with it um, that, because this is what the, the, the Bible predicted. Um, this is what has been going on in world history, I think probably since the beginning. Um, sin does stuff to a culture because sin affects the people of that culture and they become sinners and, and do sinful things we are sinners we don't become sinners we become sinners at con, you know conception but anyways does that answer your question
0: yeah I think it does and I, if, if we're looking at it on a more uh, personal level as as Christians um, it almost seems like there's a uh, global push to squeeze uh, Christianity into submission or to make it, uh, to mold it into the world's uh, standards, I guess. Um, so uh, in light of that, we've looked at, you know, the things that are going on around the world, but we're, we're bringing it more into, you know, as Christians, we're, we're uh, feeling this uh, more of a hostility, animosity, it seems like. Um, so how do we respond as Christians in the face of, of that animosity towards uh, our particular
1: beliefs? Well, I think it, it, <clears throat> this is probably just a, a continuation of my first answer, and that is um, we can expect that kind of you know, reaction to Christianity. Whenever there's um, light or right um, in the world or in a relationship, it causes a reaction, a recoiling, a, a, a rejection of, even to Jesus, especially to Jesus in John 3, the light has come into the world, but the world has rejected it. Um, in John 1, verse 11, Jesus came to his own, but his own people didn't know him. So there's this natural aversion to, a natural sinful aversion to anything moral, anything righteous. And... Of course, uh, we experience that the more righteous we we live, the more godly we are, the more we are accused of of you know uh, going against the flow and causing you know disturbance or uh, or ruckus just because we standing we're standing we stand up for what's right. So we we should expect it. Jesus foretold it. Paul foretold it. Peter foretold it. Um, we, we shouldn't be surprised at this, Peter said, when we encounter fiery trials as if something strange were happening to us. It's not a surprise. It's expected. I remember when David was younger, my, my oldest, he would come home just totally flabbergasted at how he was being treated because he wouldn't do certain things that the other boys wanted him to do. And, uh, he, he just couldn't comprehend it, couldn't get his mind around it. And so Sherry and I had to teach him when he was very young, that, you know, this is the world, David. Uh, the, everybody doesn't love Jesus. Everybody doesn't have a moral standard, you know. And so uh, don't be surprised when you get flack for standing up for it, when you when you stand up for what's right, when you establish the light, the right, the moral line, um, you, you immediately alienate people because... By establishing the standard, you're you're pointing their actions out as wrong, and no one likes that. And so their reaction to us is to be expected. But um, since it's to be expected, I think we should prepare for it, right, as Christians. And how do we prepare for this kind of reaction to godliness? Well, first of all, we need to know Scripture. We need to be ready for the kind of... Uh, reaction that we'll be getting we need to make sure that we're familiar with the scripture with the words of Christ with the words of the Apostles um, that speak of these things that prepare us spiritually for these things and I think another, another thing we can do to prepare ourselves and our children is to pray pray for relief from those circumstances pray for those who are applying pressure or who are causing us difficulty pray for them pray for your own wisdom Um, ask god to give you insight on how to deal with people who are if you're in a personal situation that is um pray pray for god to give you wisdom on how to deal with that interpersonal struggle you're having with your co-worker or a a, a fellow student who might be giving you difficulty or pressure or um, causing you problems because of your stance for christ pray for them and then secondly I think we need to see this difficulty that we face in the world um, as a rejection of Christ, a rejection of his church. And so we need to deepen our relationships with the church, with God's people. So when I get into a challenging um, circumstance, I can call you and I can say, Hey, Jeremy, I'm struggling with this person. They're giving me grief because I've said this or I've said that, and it's right. And I, and I can't, you know, I can't, you know, just ignore the situation because what's going on is wrong. And I said something about it. And now I'm catching grief from my coworkers. Um, you would be able to come alongside me as a Christian brother and pray for me, encourage me, direct me back to the scriptures. And so our commitment to the word of God individually, our commitment to prayer, and our commitment to the community of faith, I think, are the things that we need to use when we face these things. Mm.
0: Yeah, as you were as you were talking, John, I was, I was reminded of of John fifteen. As, as Christ is about to go to the cross, you know, he he reminds his disciples that the world's gonna hate you. Yep. <laughs> if most, it hated me, it'll hate you. Yeah. The, wor- the world's going to hate you because of me. Yeah. Um. So it really it really shouldn't throw us off. It shouldn't surprise us when that stuff happens.
1: No, in fact, uh, um, the Bible tells us to. Um, be joyful be thankful that we're counted worthy it says this in Acts remember when Peter and John were were publicly beaten because of the their faith and their uh, public preaching they were they were publicly beaten and ridiculed and you know humiliated and it says that they they left rejoicing because they were counted worthy of the cause of Christ so you know your your perspective is important if you can take on that attitude That wow, I've just actually suffered for Christ. That's that's pretty exciting, Hmm. you know. We're kind of worthy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, this
0: this nation that we live in, you know, God God has graciously uh, given us um, a democratic republic in which we can, you know, vote for our local, our state, and national. Uh, leaders. But as as Christians, uh, given the last two uh, questions that were, were answered, as Christians, what are we to make of uh, a leadership uh, whom we ideologically disagree with? Um, or in other words, how should we respond to a government that will uh, willingly rewrite the definition of what marriage is. Will re, uh, willingly rewrite what uh, man and woman are. Um, who are w- willing to take the lives of millions of unborn children? How do we How do we respond as Christians to leadership that that willingly does those things?
1: Sure. Well, I think it's always good to look back in history and see what others have done. Other Christians, how they responded? To their circumstances, dire circumstances in many cases, and of course, you know the Apostle Paul, he, as the I guess Apostle to the Gentiles, was very familiar with Rome's uh, opposition to Christianity. Rome, being the the government of Paul's day, um, was not in favor of Christianity. In fact, they were killing Christians at an accelerated rate by the time Paul died. And yet Paul, what did he say to, you know, those who he was writing to? And Timothy and Titus, he told them to pray for their leaders, pray for the king, pray for this, you know, the leaders in your community, in your nation. He didn't say to, you know, think poorly of them. He didn't say to start a revolution. He didn't say. And Paul had opportunity to say whatever he wanted, and he said pray for them. And then in Romans 13, he said submit to him, obey them. So um, I think it's important that we as Christians don't think it's our place to, to um, protest and cause a ruckus locally and be known as, as malcontents in our um, communities or even on a more national level. You know, we, we shouldn't be the, the protesting Christians. Um, I, I don't think that's, that's ever appropriate. I think there's times to pray and pray publicly. I think there's obviously times to vote. And thankfully, we have the right to do so in our nation. Paul wasn't voting for anybody. And uh, yet he remained committed to obeying the authorities that God has placed over him, including the man who ordered his death. So Paul was ordered to be executed. and, And he said, obey that guy. So how do we respond to our government who supports things that we don't, that we believe are immoral? I think we do the same thing Paul did. We pray for them. Um, we share the gospel with them. We, we get to vote. Paul didn't get to vote, but we get to vote. And you say, well, what about the unborn? Well, um, in Paul's day, they were lining up the born, the people who were alive and feeding them to lions. Um, and one death is as important as the next. So the the born of Paul's day were dying in in lions, you know, arenas, and the unborn are dying in doctors' office here, in our day. So I think Paul's instruction is valid for us. Pray for them. Um, obey them. Submit to them. God has put them in our lives for some reason, and and it's He hasn't put them in our lives to bring about a, um, the, the perfect environment. You know, we, g- human government is not designed by God to bring in utopia. <laughs> if anything, it's to bring in the, the end of, the, of all things, the, the day of the Lord. And so we're, our, our job is not to um, bring about God's kingdom by legislating morality and voting out the Democrats. That's not how it works. God uses Democrats. God uses demagogues. God uses Nero to bring about his purposes. We're just to act like Christ in the middle of it. You know, love people. Encourage them to obey their leaders and authorities. And don't go out there and lay down in front of traffic and, you know, throw fire bombs at the police. That is not Christ-like. That is not anywhere supported in Scripture at all and so we need to be really careful about how we respond to those who are over us politically and support them pray for them be an example of love and grace
0: Hmm. yeah every time there's a uh, there's a uh, political cycle a election cycle it's it's always funny to uh, see the comments the responses to each individual that's being, you know, voted for, and seeing what uh, people can put their trust in, their hope in, mm-hmm. specifically in individuals. Um, so, is our hope in the elected official? Is our hope uh, for change in the elected official? And I think you've already answered this. Yeah. If,
1: if it is, <laughs> if your hope is in the elected official, you're going to be hopeless. You're going, to be, you're going to be depressed, um, maybe even suicidal, because there is no hope in our current officials, not just because they're current, but because no, no uh, human government or official is supposed to be our hope. Hmm. Christ is our hope. Um, you know, um, Robert Shapiro just had a, a great um, podcast with John MacArthur uh, I think his name is Robert it was Shapiro, whoever ben, that is Ben ben, ben yeah not Robert I think <laughs> Robert's his dad, but uh, Ben Shapiro had uh, a great interview with John MacArthur on the issue, and it's he mentioned a lot of things, but this is in one particular area he talked about this very thing, and uh it was it was absolutely uh classic the way MacArthur addressed this with him. And he said these things that, 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 that I'm repeating. Uh, our hope isn't in our elected officials. Even if we get to get the ones in office that we want in office. Uh, he said, he, MacArthur said something like this. He goes, well, when I'm choosing a brain surgeon, I could care less if they're a Christian. Hmm. He says, I want to know if that guy's been in someone's brain before. Does this guy know his way around the human brain? I could care less if he goes to church. Can he do surgery on my brain? Hmm. In the same way in human government, can this person govern? You know, it would be nice if they were uh, morally and spiritually aligned with us, but that's not their role. That's not our hope. Hmm. And so... I don't think we need to set ourselves up for disappointment and despair by thinking that there's going to be some uh, spiritual transformation in this world through legislating morality. Hmm. It's not going to happen. It's not God's design. It never has been. In fact, I would say that God advances his kingdom more through the the decadence of government than through the morality of government, as hmm. uh, you if you look through human history. So, yeah, I think of
0: you know I think of Israel as they were crying out for a king, yeah. you know, and they get Saul who was great, yeah. for a time, and then he sure. failed, and then David who was great for a time, yeah. and he failed, and then Solomon who was great for a time, and then he failed, and then all the rest failed, <laughs> yeah. yeah, except for Manasseh, I think, yeah. but. Until Christ, you know, yeah.
1: who is the king. Um, yeah, so that's our hope. You know, that's our future. That's that's what we look to. That's who we live for. So we, we, we live in this world as ambassadors for Christ. Um, he is our king. He is our ultimate authority. Yeah. Um, and he has said through Paul, you know, submit to your earthly leaders.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then... Uh, as you were just mentioning, of the, you know, when when government is at its darkest, it seems the church seems to thrive the most. You know, you look at the persecuted church around the sure. world.
1: Um, well, even if even if it doesn't externally thrive, God's kingdom marches on. Mm-hmm. Even if we don't see any kind of external visible sign of church growth, for example the kingdom of God marches on mm-hmm. to the the wonderful culmination of that event, of that whole story. Mm-hmm. And that story includes human failure by God's design. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we need to be worried about a dysfunctional government or um, policies that are anti-biblical. I mean, I don't mean that we ignore them. I think we should vote for biblical values and and people who represent them, but that's not, you're asking me where is our hope, and it's not in government, mm-hmm. human government. It's in divine government. We need to get back to a theocracy, and with Christ actually on the throne, mm-hmm. and uh, that's not going to happen until, you know, the times have had their their run, mm-hmm. and so we're we're. <clears throat> You know, believing in God, trusting in God, hoping in God, and uh, He uses good and bad governments, good and bad people, to accomplish His purposes, and we just we just relax in that and trust that He knows what He's doing.
0: So we live in a dark world, obviously that's been yes. established. <laughs> uh, so how do we? How do we? Um, how are we to be? effective Christians in this dark world? Do we just, you know, live in hibernation until Christ returns? Or how can we p- be proactive as Christians uh, in these dark times?
1: Well, uh, I've got a, a couple things to say here. Um, one is there's a biblical answer to that. Um, Jesus wouldn't have had to say go and make disciples if everybody was already in line. Um, we can only make disciples of the lost people, of those who are currently captive to the the, yeah, the the worldly system, sin, Satan, the enemy. That's who we're going and making disciples of. So if we go and isolate ourselves up in a Christian commune somewhere, up in Tyotin, um first of all, it's going to get really uncomfortable. Being around that many weird Christians, um, but secondly, everybody else in the world is going to die not knowing Christ. So Jesus made it clear that we we're supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to be uh, holding down jobs. We're supposed to be living in in communities with our families. We're supposed to be growing churches and and you know ministering to people, loving them when they're needy, and so forth. So uh, we cannot we cannot do with uh, the monks did, you know. Mon- monastery living uh, has its appeal, but it's certainly not biblical. And so we can't go that route. We need to. We need to. I think remember what Christ has told us. Um, we we must make sure that we understand the the call of the gospel. We must understand the gospel itself. Understands God's uh, will for for humankind. Um, so. Our job is not to transform politics, transform culture per se. Our job is to be a voice of the gospel in the darkness. Go be a light. But you're light on a mountaintop, not under a bushel. Don't go hide in a cave. Uh, there's plenty of darkness for all of us to be involved. Um, so we just need to be the light that Jesus saved us to be. Be involved with your neighbors. Be involved in the political system if you want to be. I don't care, but be involved. Uh, do you know the gospel? Are you are you living out the ramifications of the gospel? Um, are you loving people? Are you loving Jesus? Are you loving His church? Um, don't you know? Hole up in your little community and and you know ration water and supplies until Jesus returns. Uh, No, we need to be out there living in the world, getting our hands dirty, uh, being on sports teams, being on bowling teams, um, you know, volunteering at hospitals and, you know, retirement communities and getting involved in the local, you know, bluegrass club or whatever. Be involved in the world. And be the light in that area where you're involved. Yeah,
0: I think of, I think of, uh, I think it's Peter, 1 Second Peter, Second Peter, 2 First Peter, 2 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2. It's one of those. One of those two, where Peter's calling, he's calling the church and he says, You are a chosen race, yes, a royal Holy priesthood. People, yeah. Uh, to pro- proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of yeah, darkness. Yeah, not to disappear
1: into a cave, yeah. but to proclaim the excellencies. Yeah. Exactly, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no really alternative for the Christian who wants to please the Lord. Yeah. We we should be involved. In so
0: you don't planet. you don't have to be a a pastor or a. Um, you know, some super spiritual giant in order to be a light in this dark world.
1: Uh, I would prefer that you weren't a some spiritual super giant yeah. or super spiritual giant yeah. or whatever you said. <laughs> um, uh, we don't. We don't really. We need a few of those, and we've got them. Yeah. You know, we've got we've got enough. You know, super spiritual giants. Uh, we've got enough. You know, world renowned theologians and and. You know flamboyant pastors, we need troops on the ground, mm-hmm. and uh, this is where we come in. This is our role. Um, we have our marching orders, we have our commander in chief we've got the organizational structure now just go, just do it um and we all have different interests, and I think by God's design, you know you may you may be interested in soccer, I may be interested in fly fishing while my wife may be interested in who knows what sewing um, use whatever interest God has given you to connect with the world in need and share christ um, so yeah, mm-hmm. and you know wait for that wonderful day when you 're going to hear "Well done, thou good and faithful servant he 's not going to ask you if you were a super spiritual giant. Mm-hmm. He's going to ask you really simple things like, did you get out of bed and go to work with a smile on your face? Did you share Christ with anybody? Did you meet anybody's needs? Did you bring a cup of cold water to anybody? I think Jesus said something like that. Yeah. And so I think that that's what we need to do and live life joyfully to its fullest until we die and then go be with the lord yeah yeah i
0: mean that great day will come and there's this passage in, in revelation 21 that's of great encouragement or it should be of great encouragement and excitement uh for the christian and it says in revelation 21 3 it says this and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying that is That is an incredible passage it is and so how, how does this text uh, equip us to be effective ministers in our current situation as we are, as we're looking forward to that day? Sure um how do we how can we be effective
1: well I, I think it gives us obviously great hope as, as you've already indicated um, and I think I think having hope is uh, a large part of motivating people to go out and, and do what they should be doing. Um, this verse tells us exactly who's going to win, right? Um, we, we know the, the outcome of all of this that we've been talking about. We're on the winning team. Our, our hope is in Christ and in His eternal kingdom. And I think that knowing the outcome of something can have one of two effects on you. You can become complacent um, knowing what, what is to come, which is not what we want to do, um, or we can work towards that end that's described there in Revelation twenty one three. We can work towards that end without fear or intimidation. We we know who wins, so the victory. If the since the victory is in hand, we can go all out for the process. We can we can we can throw caution to the wind. Um, We can get radical. Here's the thing that I think many Christians don't understand. Christians never take risks. There is no risk. You think of Jim Elliott, uh, Nate Saint, and the, the boys were with him. You know, people would have said, man, are you sure that's worth the risk? There was no risk. There was no risk at all. You think of John Chow that just died. Was there a, not? at There is no risk at all. Well, he lost his life. That sounds pretty risky. Was it? Yeah. It was not risky. He 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 was doing exactly what God had called him to do. Those five missionaries in 1956 were doing exactly what called him to do. God called him to do. The victory had been declared. They were joyfully in place. They fulfilled their role, and God used them in tremendous ways. We we, we don't know yet how God will use the situation with John Chow, um, but I can imagine some things, um, some great things that we might be reading about here in a few years, um, but yeah, no, there, there's nothing that, that can go wrong for the Christian, even death, <laughs> nothing can go wrong in death, and you say, well, he died too young, no one's guaranteed any lifespan. You know, and and I've asked this question a lot of people. When is it okay to die? (laughs) How old do you have to be before you say, okay, it's okay? (laughs) You know, well, when I'm 98, well, I don't want to live till I'm 98. I'll tell you that. I've seen a lot of 98-year-olds. I don't want to be that old. (laughs) You know, I'd rather be taken out with some kind of spear or arrow, you know, when I can still walk. Not when I think I'm George Washington. You know, I don't want to be senile. I want to die senile. (laughs) I want to die you know full throttle ahead mm. so yeah it's it, there's no there's no risk here and, the, and this passage that you read from revelation twenty one proves it yeah. this is a picture of the of of our future and it is victorious so why mess around with unimportant things on this planet why why get concerned about your you know 401k or your you know Do you have the latest car or clothes? Who cares? (laughs) You know, no one cares but you. So, you know, I would say go all out for the kingdom of God. Uh, Throw caution to the wind. You know, throw off every weight that's going to hinder you and run the race that's set before you. Well, friends
0: being victors in christ we can be radically effective in our day-to-day lives with friends neighbors co-workers and we pray that this podcast has been of great encouragement to you and we pray that even as you go about your day today that god would use you greatly for the kingdom and that he uh, would use you to draw many people to himself we pray that you guys have a great and wonderful day and we look forward to being with you next week have a great day